Hey there, welcome to Inner Truth Healing. I'm your host, Sarah Jacari. I'm a naturopathic doctor, acupuncturist, and intuitive, and I've created a whole body health approach to transformational healing and what I call consciousness health. I base it all on the premise that our experience is what dictates how we feel in our life. And our experience is created through the way that we think and the way that we feel. So if you break that down even further, the way that we think relates to our mental health and the way that we feel relates to our energetic health, our emotional health, and our physical health. If you want to learn more about this perspective, check out the link in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Mindful Kawa. It's an on-demand virtual retreat center that has over 65 wellness experts that guide, inspire, and support you in each of the virtual retreats. It's a low-cost, affordable way to get access to brilliant teachers. And what I love most about it is that it brings the teachers to you so that you're able to find who resonates. And the thing is, like, we each resonate with different people. And if you can find the people that you resonate with most at this point in your healing journey, then you're going to, you know, unlock things, right? Like, that's why we have teachers is that they can help us unlock parts of our own consciousness. So if you are interested, check out the link in the show notes for a code for $10 off of an annual subscription. Today I have with me Jana Wilson. She is an emotional healing educator, meditation teacher, retreat leader, public speaker, hypnotherapist, and founder of the Emotional Healing System. For the past two decades, she's taught thousands internationally in group and private retreats. She lives off-grid in the foothills of a mountain range in Santa Fe, New Mexico, with her husband and business partner, Dr. Lance Wilson. Thanks so much for being here with me today, Jana. Thank you. Yeah, we are here to talk about Jana's new book, Wise Little One, um, and it's a story of her her childhood and all the adversity that she went through, and then her her story of healing as well. So I would love to just jump right on in and ask what this experience was like writing your story. Mm-hmm. Well, first, thanks for having me here, Sarah. It's lovely to be here and share with your listeners. So wise little one learning to love and listen to myself is it took about 25 years in the making. Like I was writing stories down. I think, you know, timing's everything, right? Like you, you know, you think you're ready to expose things, but there's still another layer of healing. It's like this, you know, we're on this journey and we think we're getting to some destination. And what we start to realize the older we get is, oh, we just peel back the never ending onion of the layers of healing, right? (laughs) So wise little one, um, you asked me what, say it again, the the question you asked me. Sure. I'm just wondering what that experience was like, like, writing it all down. Yeah. So I started writing in my early thirties and of course I was nowhere where I'm at now. I'm 58. So it was a big, you know, a lot of years and, you know, writing when I sat down, I hired a developmental editor to work with me because I felt like, okay, I'd got to a place I had writing coaches. I attend, you know, writing seminars, memoir seminars. I had done all of this And I kept doubting myself. All those false beliefs kept coming up like, oh, does anyone really want to read my story? I certainly had overcame so much of the childhood developmental trauma of my life, but I, you know, still had more work to do. And I knew knew I needed someone to support me in doing it. So I came out of meditation in early 22 and I heard it's time to write the book. And something happened that had never happened before. As soon as I started my search, I found a, um, a found a, a website and they had lots of different, you know, people who are creatives in the field. And so I found a developmental editor and I would send them what I wrote and then they would restructure and give me ideas. And we started to move through it. And I wrote the book in 13 months. complete. And it was stressful to answer your question. It was, 
there were times that were so heartbreaking because I teach inner child reparenting. I was doing the work constantly, but it was just, I think when you, you know, you've, you've done the healing work. When I say that, what I mean is I've done so much process work around my childhood because in adverse childhood experiences, I score 10 out of 10. So the ACE test is the test clinicians give to ascertain where a person, you know, how much trauma they had as a child. And I score 10 out of 10. So the trauma was pretty intense, like think war zone kind of, you know, where children growing up in extreme poverty and chaos. And, and so it, you know, resurfaced because when you write a memoir, it's nonfiction, yet it's written like fiction, right? You write about the nuances, the smells, the cologne, the, the, you know, liquor coming off someone's breath, you're really in it. And it was triggering a lot. And, um, I made it through it. I had a lot of tools, which I teach in the emotional healing system. And I added some of those after I wrote the book, because I realized once the book went out to press to like professionals, librarians, bookstore owners, things like that, and we started getting feedback. The feedback was like, hey, I thought she was going to give us some kind of prescription, which would be more like a self-help book, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a memoir. So I went in and changed the name of it to a prescriptive memoir and then gave 11 or 13 chapters have additional information and, you know, to help the reader work through their own process or contemplate certain questions. But it was difficult. I mean, it's not easy to go back. I tell those stories all the time when I'm leading a group retreat or working with clients. It's different reading it. So once I went into the studio, so books have to be done in paperback, Kindle, hardback, and Audible in order to be considered for any high profile, like an Oprah book club or a Reese Witherspoon or, you know, movie rights being purchased or anything like that. So when I went into the studio, I had a complete breakdown. I got through 20 chapters it was terrible. In some parts, I, I think I you can tell I'm crying when I'm reading it. And I collapsed. And then I realized I can't read it. I, that's too traumatizing for me to reread it. Because when you read a book, you have to be every character, right? So I'm dad beating my mother. I'm my mother putting a gun to my head. I'm, yeah, I'm all the parts, right? And it was way too much. So I am now in negotiation with a voice actor to read the book. Okay. That that totally makes sense to me. I mean, when I was reading your book, I got triggered because I could see myself in your story. And there were times where I was bawling my eyes out and it was, it was healing for me to even see, Oh, little Sarah and me is like still pretty sad and upset about this. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Yeah. 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 It the way that you wrote, you were such a great storyteller. And I truly enjoyed your book. Um, I read it so fast too, in just like a couple of days, because I was Aww. like, oh, there was, but when I was triggered, I had to put it down for a bit because I was like, but I need to like process this. Process, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember in the author's note at the beginning. You know, I said, okay, they were saying you need to put a trigger alert and somebody who I respect a lot, who's um, written many books and and is a psychotherapist said, you know, I'm sick of these trigger alerts. They research shows they don't work. People still will watch the show or read the book. It's not going to change anything. And we need to deal with the triggers. The triggers are not the problem. They're just a sign that there's some deeper healing. So if my book triggers somebody, so be it. I don't apologize because what you can't feel, you can't heal, right? Totally. Yeah. Yep. And I think in hearing other people's stories too, it's like that's how we help each other heal even outside of, you know, a teacher student. It's like just human to human stories. Yes. Totally. I'm curious if any new memories surfaced for you as you were writing the book, or if it was all things that you remembered had happened to you. Yeah, no, I have a, some people say I have a photographic memory, but you know, the interesting thing about memory 
is the in the in the brain the receptor sites of memory are very close um any type of an emotional right trigger that's intense fires the memory stronger so research shows you know they'll do videos of something and see exactly what actually happened and then hear the people explain what happened and they get it half right half all everybody has a different perspective because we're looking through the lens of our perception, right? And so, um, no, I didn't have any new memories come up. I had a lot of compassion for myself in what I went through, a new level. Like I, I can remember times late last summer, right after the book was published, it went on Amazon to number one and stayed there for a week in inner child healing. And, you know, the emails I was getting, some of the reviews that were coming in, they were all pretty glowing. But when I would get a negative review, rap, you know, people around me were like, why are you reading those? And I said, because that's, they're my teachers, mm. right? Those are the people who were pointing out anything. If it bothers me, then I need to take a look at it. Because if I don't care what they think, then, it, you know, it wouldn't bother me. But it's clearly, I agree with it. Right. So if it's bothering, so I would do the shadow work and I would, you know, and, you know, I just, it felt like um, this little girl that went through so much. And I, I, it was almost, I just fell so much deeper in love with that little girl, with her resiliency and her strength and her sassiness and how the dragon slayer came alive in her, but her faith. Like my, my inner child, like really, you know, from such a young age, my connection to spirit was so profound because of the trauma. Like I literally would go back and do it all over again if it meant I didn't have that connection. Because as you know, the prologue, I start out at 12 years old when I have an out-of-body experience and it changed the trajectory of my life. It woke me up. It woke me up to the truth of what I believe reality is, which is I am divine. I'm not some broken, white, trash, poor little girl in Central Florida born to these two crazy people tearing themselves apart. I'm a divine being and I'm here for a purpose. And that never left me. And that's what set me at a young age at 20. You know, when I found that book, You, and that book changed my life. Um, I talk about it, you know, I found it in San Francisco. It literally fell off the, the bookshelf and um, into my lap. I was just looking to see if I had a copy behind me. I usually do. And it was all about loving yourself. And no one had ever talked to me about loving myself. I mean, what a new concept. I was like, wow, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you mind sharing with the listeners about that out-of-body experience? Yeah. So mom and dad were fighting once again. My brother, my big brother was always around to protect me. I felt safe with him. He wasn't there. He's now a teenager at that point, like 15 and I'm 12 and, you know, dad's tearing mom apart and the screaming and for a child to be in that situation, you know, your brain doesn't develop till mid 20s. So you're literally thinking like you could die, right? Anything could happen. This is this is major chaos. The police were often called. Guns were pulled. As you know, later in the story, you hear about that. So um, I run out the house and I'm praying as I always did. And I'm wringing my hands and Jesus, Jesus, please save me. I grew up in the Bible Belt, really heavily in a Christian. After this experience, I let all of that go because it woke me up to, you know, there is no one path to the creator, right? There's many. And I knew things that no adult around me knew. So I'm wringing my hands, I'm crying. And all of a sudden, you know, I can just take myself there because it was such a big moment. I just felt peace. I felt like I could hear dad and mom still screaming, but I just felt this something come over me. And I, and I kind of inquire in my mind, like what's happening and I can see my body, I can still hear them, but yet I'm not in my body. And I look around and it's, I swear, it felt like I could just reach out and touch a star nebula or some galaxy or, you know, every, I was just out in the cosmos. Yet I was still very close to the little 
trailer and the screaming, my little body, and I could see it all. I could see earth. I could see everything. And I was told, those are not your parents. I am. And I'm very clairaudient. So I have a gifted ability. I'll hear things. Like it's not audible, but it's a hearing. I, I equate it to hearing. Some people are more visual and so are kinesthetic feelers. So I hear this voice telling me, you know, those are not your parents. I am. That is not your life. This is. And, you know, I'm looking around seeing that. And I just think to myself, one thought before I'm back in my body was if I'm dead, I like it. I'm good. Like, like this is like, take me. You know, I don't want to beam me up, Star Trek. You know, <laughs> I don't beam me up, Scotty. I don't want to. And then boom, I'm back in my body. But as soon as I landed back in the body and the dense physical domain of this 3D world, I felt a peace that passed all understanding. I felt everything was going to be okay. Like I, I, there was a knowingness. It's like if somebody said, oh, are you a believer? I always say, no, I'm a knower. I don't believe I can ride a bike. I know I can. So belief implies doubt. I shifted from believing to knowing. And that knowingness gives you so much confidence because irregardless if anyone agrees with you, it's your truth. And that's how I felt. I felt like I had a secret, like truth, and no one else knew it. I wanted to share it with them, but I was just a 12-year-old. I was kicked out of Sunday school, told I was going to, to hell for talking the way I was. And all I was saying was, I'm talking to God. You know, I'm having a conversation with God way before Neil Donald Walsh was in his book, Conversations with God, I was asking, you know, if I was born in China, am I going to go to hell if I'm not a Christian? And I would immediately hear the answer. Anything I asked, it would just come to me. Absolutely not. And every, every answer I got gave me a sense of freedom. And that's how I know, you know, the truth, because it sets you free. That is so beautiful. Thank oh, you. I love that. I love that. I'm really curious what your knowing of our mission here as like the human experience. Oh, like, what a rich yeah. question. <laughs> so one of the first books that changed my life as a young mother, I had, I gave birth at 22, um, was Brian Weiss, Dr. Brian Weiss book, Many Lives, Many Masters. I went on to train with him. I did regressions with him in the early 90s. And then I trained with him um, in 2018, finally, to become a past life regressionist. I was already a hypnotherapist, but, and I rarely do regression therapy, but the whole concept of reincarnation, you know, is really the only thing that makes sense to me, right? And most of the world, you know, they subscribe to reincarnation. It's just Judeo-Christianity that don't, right? And there are a lot of of us, you know, people who are, but I think people are opening up to it more. So I think that we're here in earth school and this creator, this divine creator that we call God, this infinite intelligence that we try to conceptualize, but certainly isn't human is beyond our imagination of what we can. It's energy, I believe. And it gave us free will. And so we are here in this physical domain to become you know, more self-actualized. And what does that mean? To know who we truly are, that we are divine, that we are, we aren't just a drop in the ocean. If the ocean is God, Rumi said, you're not a drop in the ocean. You're the entire ocean in the drop. And so it's to discover our own divinity. And this comes from the ancient, ancient teachings of the Vedas, the Rig Veda, this 5,000 year old teaching. And it says that you suffer because you forgot that you have amnesia. And if you knew the truth of who you really are, then you would live to your full potential. And then when we're living to our full potential, because we identify not just with the roles we play or, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma, I'm a teacher, I'm a woman, I'm an American, you know, my possessions I hold or my positions, you know, I own this business or, you know, I drive this car and I have this house like that all is temporary and transient who I truly am is consciousness, pure consciousness, my soul. And so the child, the reason why I love inner child work is because I believe if we can learn to be a healthy, loving adult to ourselves, 
then we will love and care for the inner child. And the inner child is our feelings. And so I'll love and care for my feelings. You know, I won't, if I'm feeling anxious, I won't say to myself, you know, get over it. What's your problem? You know, go to the doctor, take some Xanax, get on anti-anxiety, like fix it from the external. I'll turn within, right? And realize that I'm telling myself a story. I take responsibility. Then I'm telling myself a story that's creating anxiety. So reparenting inner child work all leads to the same thing. But I believe that we're here. The soul has karma. Karma is an accounting system. Debits and credits. You know, we build debits, we build credits. And certainly I had a lot of debits and I chose my soul, I believe, chose to come in in my childhood and correct it all. So I had a dense, dense years of intense trauma to move through so that I could get to busy about helping uh, you know, raise the consciousness of the planet. I could get busy about helping people heal because I was healing myself, heal or heal thyself. Right. And so the more work I did on myself, the more it opened me up. So here I am 58. I've ran this business for 20 years, but before that, you know, almost 20 years or 15 years before that I was on my healing journey and it never ends. Right. I said that before. So I believe that we're here to take full responsibility that this is our movie. I'm the leading lady. You're the leading lady of yours. And some of the cast members that come and go, you know, um, we have to fire and get rid of and replenish because as we grow and evolve, the people that we're interacting with, you know, our friends, family, family too, sometimes it's toxic and it's not a healthy relationship. So I believe, you know, I'll just end by saying what Shakespeare said, that above all else to thine own self be true. But you have to know who is thyself, you know, to be true to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we're here to correct karma, to get lessons. We're in earth school. We're here to evolve and we're here to make the place better than it was before we came. Beautiful. I'm, I'm yeah. very much in alignment with so much of what you said, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Many Lives, Many Masters was a very pivotal book for me on my journey as well. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, when I heard what I, of course, bought Dr. Weiss. And when I heard what he explained about his son and his son's death and no one knew it. And, you know, this Catherine's this girl who came to him, a client, she's having, you know, these regressions. And then his son comes through. And I mean, it, it just it something it's again when you hear the truth it'll set you to me reincarnation gave me freedom because it empowered me to look at my life and go my soul chose that man I must be a badass <laughs> instead of being a victim right yeah. it shifted right. it and then I began to look at myself like oh my gosh I am here for a purpose because if I chose you know, an alcoholic father who sexualized me, a mother who put a gun to my head, who was mentally ill, who, you know, it wasn't all terrible and it never is. Both of those people I love dearly and they had goodness in them too, you know, so it's always a mixed bag, right? But yeah, I chose a lot and I am the woman I am today because of it. Yeah. So I'm curious of what your process is for the inner child work or, or just your work you know, in general, however you want to share it. Yeah. So I'll share you a little bit about the system. So as I went to all these different teachers throughout many years, um, my ex-husband and I were, you know, fairly successful in network marketing and it afforded me the ability to have time freedom and financial freedom. So I could go, you know, fly around to the teachers I wanted to work with. Right. And they were all New York times, bestselling authors and, so I really, my intent was to get close to them and really glean as much information and knowledge as I could. And that meant obviously signing up and doing trainings and getting close, right, to that inner circle. And what I began to see, whether it was Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, David Simon, Debbie Ford, Marion Williamson, um, you know, Eckhart Tolle, all the people, Joe Dispenza that I've trained and done work with, I, they were all saying something very valuable, but none of them were telling all the pieces, right? Deepak would be meditation or, you know, consciousness or 
um, Debbie was shadow, you know, they were all telling different things. And I thought if there was one place to go that I could systemize and bring a comprehensive program and teach someone all these tools in one stop shopping, kind of, yeah, it's a big, it's an intense, you know, um, comprehensive program that I put together it's not me creating it. It's taking it from 5,000 year old teachings, right? So meditation is paramount. It's foundation to emotional intelligence. As a teacher, I've been a teacher 17 years, 18 years now. Um, and I've, you know, really, you know, I've taught almost a thousand people to meditate in, in that many years. And I, you know, doing it every day and living it and really understanding what is consciousness. This is a big concept for most people, right? And then inner child work was really pivotal to me in my 20s with John Bradshaw. So you're younger than I am, but John Bradshaw was a psychotherapist, PhD from Houston, who was on PBS all the time. You know how public broadcasts will have these speakers to sell their things and they'll give like a talk. Yeah. You know how they do that? He was always on there. So I was really into personal development and healing in my 20s. So I'd watch him and I bought his books, Healing the Shame That Binds You, you know, um, Family Dynamics, like really understanding core developmental trauma. And so I, that opened me up to, and I flew to Houston and I did a workshop with him and it was really deep and healing, but he didn't really have a system like Step one through three, and here's how you connect with your inner child. So then fast forward, I'm working with Debbie Ford, training with her, and the way she teaches shadow didn't quite resonate for me. And Alanis Morissette, the, the singer, the Grammy Award singer, she was also doing work with Debbie at the time, and she agreed. There were some of us that it just didn't, sub-personality work didn't fit, so we, she found a teacher to teach reparenting and inner child work. And we kind of all followed her because, well, she was Alanis, you know, it was like, oh, let's follow Alanis. And it changed my life. This teacher was able to really, you know, um, reduce the, the inner child work to a very simplistic way. And then I even reduced it more. Her steps were six steps. I did it to three steps. And so the steps are, you know, I choose making a, a conscious choice to be a loving adult and take 100% responsibility for yourself uh, to understand what feelings are. So there's a lot of education on am I feeling core pain or suffering? You know, there it's a it's it's confusing because people aren't we aren't taught this in school. So, you know, the Buddha said pain is uh, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. And so what he meant was there's going to be pain in life. If your parents die, you're going to grieve. That's painful. If people do and say things to you that hurt you, that's heartbreaking. That's painful. You're helpless over them, right? That's painful to feel helpless. And then so there's these core, but there's only a few core painful feelings. Everything else is suffering, shame, guilt, anxiety, depression, anger, all of that is suffering feelings. So once you teach somebody, here's what suffering is and here's what pain is, then they can approach the emotion like the child. So I have them get a picture of themselves as a little girl or boy and look at themselves and say, I want to understand. I want to be a healthy adult. I want to understand what are, what are you trying to tell me? Because the child's sitting there trying to get your attention with this emotion and you're not paying attention. You're, you know, most people abandon themselves through what? Well, staying in their head, pushing themselves harshly, judging themselves, trying to be perfect. Um, they also turn to addictions, food, drugs, alcohol, relationships, sex, exercise, meditation. If you're spiritual, bypassing your feelings, oh, I'm just not going to feel that. You know, I'm going to take the high road and, you know, namaste and meditate over it. That's not going to work either. Your spiritual bypassing it, putting ice cream on poop. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> the ice cream melts and you still got the heaping pile of poop, you know. <laughs> That's good. Or you're a victim, right? You blame. Oh, it's their fault if they would have just been, you know. Da, da, da. So these are ways we abandon ourselves. But healthy adults say, no, I'm 100% responsible 
for my feelings. And so then you understand and you dialogue. And in the dialogue, so step one is just that intent to understand, connect to spiritual guidance, because everything I teach is spiritual psychology. Transpersonal psychology is, is really the most cutting edge of therapy now, because we realize something in, in the therapeutic model that meeting trauma and issues and stories through the mind can only get you so far in talk therapy and going to a religious leader or a spiritual advisor is only going to get you so far. You have to bring the best of the both, right? To, to true healing. And so that's why I practice spiritual psychology. So connect to spirit, feel, you know, totally supported that, you know, whatever that is, I work, I have clients from Saudi Arabia who are Muslim. I have clients in all religions. It doesn't matter. Most people these days are less religious and, you know, really ascribe to being more spiritual. And so they connect and then you call in the inner child step two. How are you feeling? I'm anxious. Okay. What am I saying to you? Cause we're having 40 to 70,000 thoughts a day, right? <laughs> Yacking away to ourselves. What am I saying to you, sweetheart? That's making you anxious. Well, you're telling me, you know, that we don't have enough money and, you're worried and you're scared and it's making me scared or you're telling me, you know, that you're giving me my stomach's been hurting and now you're going to the worst case scenario. I have stomach cancer or, you know, like are you terrorizing me? And then you start realizing what you're doing to yourself. Right. And the reparenting process. And then you take responsibility. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. And, you know, then you connect to spirit and you ask, what am I believing that has me treat myself this way? So we operate from so many false beliefs that we adopted when we under the age of seven that we don't even remember, like my feelings don't matter or I'm not good enough or I'm unlovable or I'm unwanted, you know, the list goes on. So usually you're operating from a false belief. You know, I need to be perfect in order for me to be loved all these beliefs. And that's what's causing you to think the thoughts that you're thinking that are flooding your body and stress response with a cascade of toxic chemicals. And then you go to a doctor and you're like, I've been feeling this way. And they're like, oh, you have a chemical imbalance. Well, that's top down therapy, right? It's not root cause, which is what you're interested in. What is the root that's creating you know, this chemical imbalance. Oh, well, I believe I'm not good enough. Okay. Well, somebody who believes they're not good enough is not going to take care of themselves. You first got to address that belief and, and the best way to do it. And let me just, I usually have here on, yeah, is a picture of myself everywhere as a little girl on my phone is to connect with the little child. That's why these pictures of when we're little, would I tell her she's not good enough? Never. I love her, you know, so soon as I relate with my little girl and I say, oh, my gosh, like you deserve to be happy and you suffered enough. And and I picked up where mom and dad left off and I've been treating you bad. I'm so sorry. And then you ask spirit for an action, something you need to do. But you're bringing the light of awareness to the toxic beliefs, you know, that you're holding that's causing you to mistreat yourself essentially and then of course be in relationships where other people mirror the same disrespect and mistreatment and you're like they're treating me bad well no it started with you and you're allowing it you're teaching them how to treat you by how you treat yourself right yeah yeah that's really great so yeah, I am powerful yeah I'm curious because I know the story with your your husband is that you both you both do this work um, so I'm curious, like in your relationship, do you have like things set up with be like between both of you where it's like, okay, like, you know, if the, like, a trigger comes up or, you know, whatever it is, like, do you guys have kind of like a system in your relationship that mm -hmm. if you, you know, no worries if you don't mind sharing, but I'm just curious because you both do this work. Yeah. So um, we've been in a situation recently where there's a lot of stress or internal on learning a new application for our business. And I um, became, and so we would get really terse with one another and snappy, which is very unlike us. 
And so our first step when we begin to observe the behavior in the other, I mean, ideally, we're not both in it at the same time. So say I notice he's terse with me and I'll stop right there and I'll get coherent because it triggers you, it pushes your buttons. So immediately upon your buttons being pushed, you'll go incoherent, which is stress response, right? The amygdala is getting really distorted in the brain and you go into fight, flight, freeze or fawn. Well, my natural tendency is fight. But being an emotionally intelligent person, I master those emotions, not 100% of the time, of course, I'm human, but this is how it would look if I were mastering my emotions and not fighting with him, because I do both. Okay, let's establish that I'm very human. So I would say, okay, I would start breathing. So I would start doing coherent breathing, which is from the heart math. So I'd focus on my heart and I just slow and deep breathing. And as soon as I felt like I caught my breath and I've relaxed my body, my body now is not in fight or flight. It knows it's not about to die, right? Because thought alone creates that cascade. So I say to him, um, so when you just use that tone of voice with me, what was your intent? So the first is always to ask the person, what is your intent? Because we immediately go to mean making and trying to discern what they their intent was. And without ever asking, we were so sure we know that they were trying to be mean to us or push our buttons. Right. But I question everything I think. So I don't believe everything I think. So I immediately say, OK, what was your intention with that tone? of Your tone of voice was terse. What was your intention? That usually is enough of a mechanism to wake him up to say, oh, OK, you're right. I did get terse. I got triggered. And he might say to me, I felt like you were asking me something, and this happens a lot with us, and you were implying that I didn't know what I was doing, mm -hmm. right? Or you, or I wasn't doing it to your standard, he'll say. And so immediately I got triggered because I want to please you. I love you. And if I don't think you're, you know happy with something I've done and you're questioning it, I immediately get defensive. And so my intent was ill. He'll tell me like I was mad. I felt like you were, you know, and he might turn it then and say, what was your intent? And then I get to tell him, oh, my intent was just, you know, but if my intent was to question him, I'll tell him, yeah, I was questioning you. And sometimes I'm going to question you just because you're my husband and you're this educated doctor and you're very brilliant doesn't mean I can't question you. Right. And so you just cop to it. But, yeah, there's a process. Intent's important. Always asking what someone's intent. Sometimes we're too triggered to have these conversations in the moment. So we need to take space. So that happens a lot. I need to take space. When I take space, I do the process. So I go in, I ask myself, you know, what's the story I'm telling myself that has me so triggered by what he did? Well, you think he thinks you're an idiot, you know, maybe that's something. And he doesn't know, or he's a taskmaster telling you what to do. And I don't like to be told what to do. And then I kind of work through it. What's the false belief again that I'm holding that has me get so triggered that I can't just allow him to be himself and me be myself without getting our buttons push. And so, yeah, there's a process, but um, conscious loving takes work, right? It takes taking full responsibility, having transparency, not expecting your partner to read your mind, right? Like actually saying, hey, here's, when you said that, I immediately caught, I told myself, you think this about me. Is that true? Uh, no. Okay. I was telling myself a story. I mean, that saves a lot of resentments and grudges and arguments. Just asking. I told myself, you treated me this way because you think this, is that true? And then they're usually like, no, like <laughs> you're tripping. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm always so intrigued with just like the systems that couples consciously are putting in place for themselves because, you know, this work is, it's so important and it, it it's, it's life, right? Like it it's, is. if you want to live a conscious life, you have to have this stuff in place. 
Exactly. And there's nothing more important. Relationship is a spiritual path because they're mirroring to us. You know, in the ancient teachings, Tatvama, I see a Sanskrit word means I see the other in myself and myself in the other, which is shadow work, which is what union psychology is. And essentially what you're saying is once you understand and you have the knowledge of it, then you see everyone as a reflection of you. So, you know, if I go to the restaurant and you and I are having lunch and I'm getting you know, uh, in, inappropriately triggered by the waiter who keeps ignoring me and you're not, it might be because I have a deeper wound of not being seen or heard that I haven't dealt with and you don't have that issue. So you're like, why is she blowing this out of proportion asking for the manager? The guy just forgot her tea. Like, you know, what's the big deal? But it's the wounded child in me saying, Damn it, I don't see or acknowledge myself. No one else is seeing, even the waiter doesn't. So I, you know, disproportionately get angry and can't modulate my emotions or regulate myself because deeper, the deepest wound is I don't feel seen or heard. Yeah. And when we don't see, when we weren't seen or heard, and this is, you know, we say big T, little T, trauma's trauma to me is certainly having a gun put to your head might be a bigger trauma than a parent who doesn't see or hear you. But I had all those little traumas and the big traumas, but a parent who doesn't see or hear you is traumatizing to a child. It, it sets them up to have a distorted psyche where they think that they're not worthy, that they don't matter, that they, and then they attract relationships that mirror it back and they're unhappy and they get to midlife and they have a crisis or they have a health scare something wakes them up and then they're like, you know, they go to someone like me and then I'm telling them, you know, it doesn't matter if your spouse sees or hears you. It matters if you see or hear you. And when you start seeing and hearing yourself and reparenting yourself and loving yourself, it won't be a match. You won't attract people who don't see or hear you because you'll just let them know, hey, I'm teaching you how to treat me. That doesn't work for me. You need to see me and hear me. And if they don't, goodbye. I choose me. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. And it really is. Yeah. And it's just, you know, society, we want to look at everything outside of us to change so that we can feel different when the way to truly feel different is the complete opposite. You have to start with you. Yeah, it's the object referring and what Deepak taught me many years ago and in his book, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, he talks about the subject object split. So I'm the subject, of course, and everything else is objects. Well, all this stuff is temporary and impermanent, right? And and when I learned to take my attention off the outer world, did I get good enough grades? Am I pretty enough? Am I rich enough? Am I successful enough? Am I something enough, right? All in the outer world. And I start turning within and becoming self-referral capitalist, right? My soul is my center point where I'm looking within. And that's when spirit speaks to me and says, you are divine. You are, you are perfectly made. Like, you are unique and you have some greater gift to give the world and you're special and I love you. And you receive that from within. You don't need it from others. But then the interesting thing that happens is other people start showing up and telling you, you're amazing. I love you. You're the most. And you're like, thank you. But you're not. You're almost immune to it because you don't need it. You're already giving it to yourself. And that's a superpower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So I am curious what kinds of things you're up to right now. You, you just got done with this, um, online virtual retreat. I'm just curious with the listeners, if they're listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, I think I need Jan in my life. Like how could they work with you? Yeah. So this is our 20th year doing group retreats, emotionalhealingretreats.com is the website the um, private retreat I launched in 2010. So 14 years ago, I began working in a VIP setting one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm at the place in my career where I've, I have someone else working a team and I'm starting to step away more and not do as much private one-on-one -on -one work. It's very exhausting. It's one for one. I'm now at a place in my life and my career where I want to, I want to reach more people one for many. Right. So my husband and I are doing something really exciting this year. We've hired a team of marketing people and they're guiding us 
to create challenges and master classes and these summits and we're offering them for free just really with this intent to give more and share more to help people of course with the intention that they'll fall in love with us and say oh my gosh I want to come do a retreat with them or that we have a virtual retreat which is an online retreat that is just like spending time with us we hired a film crew and they came last year and spent a week with us and we just talked to the camera and pretended we were talking to somebody and did a whole retreat. Video, audio, guided processes, it's really beautiful. And so we have that offering. And then we'll be doing a large group retreat this year. We were gonna go to Maui, but we're shifting now to stay here in Santa Fe in October. We have a wellness resort here and we're gonna do it there. We've done them there before. So that'll be a big inaugural 20th anniversary retreat. Um, our retreats get on average about 35, 40 people. We might have a little bit more at that one, but it's beautiful. You know, we, we pick it in locations that we can really enjoy nature and be together as community, not just in plopped in like, you know, the, uh, a meeting space, you know, working the whole time. We like to have fun. The child likes to have fun. <laughs> so we get to do you know, a lot of fun things. And so, yeah, we're just, how can we give more this year really feels like a year the the world is yearning for deeper healing and deeper knowingness that that they're deserving and that it's possible there's infinite possibilities you watch the news and everything's so grim and you know like the world's coming to an end or something and you know it's it it really upsets the inner child in us right it, it's because they believe anything's possible but the adult grows up and gets conditioned and stops believing so we got to get back to you know like jesus said be like little children and connect with that core innocence so we can have fun and enjoy our lives because that's our birthright right and so our mission this year is to so if anyone signs up at the website they'll get notice of when the next um, at the end of February, I think February 19th is our next masterclass challenge that and people can sign up for it free. It's an hour a day. We're going to run it for three days this next time. It'll be about an hour and a half a day. And um, yeah, it's fun. We have a film studio in our living room and we just sit and connect and share with everybody and teach all these principles. And it's really cool. That sounds really cool. Sounds like a lot of fun too. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I just have one last question for you. Okay. I'm really curious what you would tell someone who they have gotten little seeds of, I should share my story because I think it could help the world, but mm. they have not yet taken action on it. Do you have any words of wisdom for them? Hmm. Um. First of all, one of my teachers here, Natalie Goldman, who wrote Writing Down the Bones, it's kind of like the standard reading um, for college students in writing classes, is you have to be on the other side to write memoir anyway, to write a story of your healing. You can't still be in the thick of it. The reader will feel it. It'll be yucky. So, you know, with my story, I begin in 2015, I'm at Esalen. Clearly the reader knows I'm letting them know I'm successful. I've arrived in my life. I'm doing good. All's good, but I don't have my beloved. And that's the only thing in my life that's missing. And I'm yearning for my beloved. Right. And then I go back in time and I share my whole story of my childhood. And then I end with the day that I started the book with which was meeting my husband, getting on a plane I wasn't supposed to be on, you know, four days, three or four days early before my flight was supposed to leave, but getting a message that I was supposed to leave and go home. And then I get on a plane, it connects. I get on that second flight, and sit next to my husband, my now husband. And so that is an inspiring story, right? So it makes all the trauma that I have to read or all that healing story. Okay. So we have to have arrived somewhere in our life that it makes it worthwhile that the reader is saying, this person has grit and they're inspiring me because they're not still stuck in it. There was one story I shared in the 
book um, with one of my teachers, Debbie Ford. And Debbie was a tough cookie. She was a hard teacher. And she, were you familiar with her? Have you read her books? I, yep, I am. Okay. So she, uh, you know, I took some things out because the feedback I got, it felt uncomfortable reading it. People were a little like, you know, and I love Debbie, but I wanted to be as honest with the reader to let them know when you put someone on the pedestal, they will fall. No one has arrived. And so for me as a teacher, it was really important for me to, to get that lesson from her. Right. And then to never repeat that. It's kind of like the anti-teacher. So she taught me, right, to let clients, let students know, listen, don't put me on a pedestal because I will come down. I'm human. I'm here's what I'm going through right now. Like, you know, it's tough right now. I'm spun out or this is happening. Like I share my process. I don't hide that from people. And I think that's so important. So if you're going to write something, make sure you're on the other side of healing and there's nothing in the space that can make the the uh, last thing you want is the reader putting it down because they don't feel comfortable. Thank you for that. I love that. Yeah. And I really respect that you put that in there about Debbie and that you do share like, you know, the healing journey is never over because. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's our life, right? And we'll have peaks of like things going great and then we'll enter a new healing cycle. And, um, you know, I think that's something where I've gotten the ick from some of the spiritual communities I've been in because they do idealize people and they are having this belief that like the goal is love and light only and I'm going to reach enlightenment. And it's like, we're in the human experience. What do you mean? Exactly. Um, so I, and I, how I, do we know, like, it's dark now where you and I are when we started, it was daylight. I always ask this question and, you know, if it's daylight, how do we know it's daylight? They'll say, well, the sun's out. And I'm like, well, that's not actually how we know. We know through contrast because we've experienced darkness. Same thing. If it's dark, how do we know it's dark? Cause we've experienced light. So people who spiritual bypass or who are all love and light and everything are blind compassion. They're giving people far too much slack. And one of my favorite books is by Augustus Masters called Spiritual Bypassing. And he talks about wrathful rage. And that's what got birthed in me and my story with my dad. I mean, standing up at 12 years old to a monster, you know, it was pretty courageous. And once I did it, there's really been no internal monster. You know, there's an African proverb that says, if there's no enemy within, then the enemy outside can do you no harm. Mm. And so the, even the enemies within I face with strength and doubt and negativity and telling me I can't do something. And I'm like, oh no, I know who I am. And I know I might not be able to do it, little Jana, but spirit can do it through me. And so faith is so important, right? That gave me chills. Ooh, yeah. that was juicy. <laughs> that was good. Preach it, girl. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> That's my Southern minister coming out. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you. Oh, me too, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for reading the book. Yes, of course. Thank you for sharing with me.